What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. We have taken a little bit of a break. It's been a busy uh, time around the Brock household, and so excited to get back on here and really hit it hard for the spring. Um, I think we've been off for about two weeks now, um, and that's all content. Even on Instagram, we've been, I've been a little relaxed, but been spending a lot of time with the family, and, and to me, that's very important. And um, So I do apologize that there hasn't been a podcast in two weeks, but we're back at it and excited to be doing it. Um, want to tell y'all about one of our sponsors. His name is Eric Williams. He's a realtor here in town. He's a YouTuber, fishing YouTuber. Um, got the pleasure of doing a podcast with him and our other buddy Lex on his podcast the other day. And I'll link that in the show notes here so y'all can go check that out. But we were just talking a lot about if social me- media is ruining fishing or how it can be affecting it negatively and positively. Um, and, and it was a really good conversation. We talked for about 30 minutes, but I really think we needed about an hour and a half to really dive into each subject. But um, definitely check Eric out if you want to buy, sell a house um, here in Wilmington, buy land, any of that. He is the man. He works super hard, and it's just a good friend and a good um, resource for all that stuff. But guess what? He is our guest today on here. So what's up, man? Hey man, I'm not sure about the intro of building me all up like that and then releasing me for the public. Yeah, you better not blow it, man. You better be. You better have it all together. A lot today. of pressure. A lot of pressure. I was excited about doing that intro though, like surprising everybody that you're on here. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, excited to have you on here. So why don't we start out? Just kind of tell everybody your story, where you're from, how you got into fishing, um, and, and whatnot, and, and we'll go from there. I'm from Columbia, North Carolina. I grew up on the Albemarle Sound, the Scuppernong River, and uh, the fishery is very different there. But um, my dad had me out in it just like everyone else, a very young age. I don't even remember learning. And uh, the target species were usually, you know, freshwater oriented, and we would get the striper run there in the fall, winter months. But yeah. Very different. And uh, I liked to fish quite a bit then, but something about moving to Wilmington and catching that saltwater bug changed things up for me. Uh, so I've been chasing saltwater fish, I guess, since roughly 2015, 16. Nice. Nice. So do you still find yourself doing freshwater stuff much or are you pretty, um, focused on just saltwater now? Man, the, the saltwater is, has got me. Yeah. I, I'm ruined. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on yeah. that. I, I, I wish I did more freshwater. Like I love bass fishing and I love, a lot of the content and stuff that I watch on YouTube, if it's fishing related, is like bass fishing or, you know, stuff like that. I, I watch this channel, um, Addicted Fishing, and they're like in the Northwest, and they like steelhead fish and salmon fish and stuff. Nothing that I ever do, but it's like, it's like intriguing to me. Um, yeah, and, I think and you can take a lot of uh, just, I mean, different types of fisheries. You can take the information and apply it to saltwater and step your game up like that. Oh, There's most definitely. to learn from other people and other facets of fishing. Most definitely. Like it's, it's, uh, it, it's, that, that's a whole podcast itself. I was about to go down a rabbit hole bad right there. So I'm going to stop myself, but, um, all right. So you've lived in Wilmington since, since about 2015, 2016, you've been fishing here that long. Cool. Yeah. So I went to grad school here and got my master's in education mm-hmm. and left for two years to be a teacher. So like I had a, a stint here in 14, 15, Gotcha. Left and then came back. Nice. So, and I knew I wanted to be back here eventually. I just, I had to find the right teaching job. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, that, that's the, that's kind of how that worked out. But, um, yeah, I was in Wilson, North Carolina for a little bit mm-hmm. and bounced to Atlantic beach. Um, 
I couldn't actually have a boat at my apartment complex, so that was a bummer, living <laughs> at Atlantic Beach. But uh, once I got back down here, that's when I wanted to get a boat that was kind of set up for this type yeah, of fishing. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's that's a good segue into, I want to talk about your boat, and I think this is going to be a big part of our podcast. Um, it, it's it's a smaller boat, and I, I remember we talked about it on a, on a podcast one time, I think it was me and zane and we were like it was super rough out there and there's this little boat out there fishing and just you know totally handling what we were out there in um but i think it's people love boat conversation on this podcast and mm-hmm. everyone wants a skiff or a bay boat and and i don't think there's anything wrong with with wanting that but i think it's super cool when you see someone in, in a boat like you've got and and really being super versatile in it and getting a lot of things done and so Kind of walk me through your your boat and, and and share why it's such a good fit for all the different stuff that you like to do. Yeah, and, I mean, the, and tell if you don't mind, tell people what you paid for it and the fact that you're oh, catching yeah, fish yeah. all over the place in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, originally, um, I have a really good friend back in Columbia. He has a Winchester. It is it is the same hole as the River Ox, but the difference is is the River Ox has the raised bow. Mm-hmm. So I knew based on his boat that it would handle three, four foot seas, no issue, yeah. because we duck hunting that. So my goal from the start was to find a river ox, which is what my model is. Yeah. It's a 1976, and uh, it's a 16-foot boat. It's about four foot wide, but uh, it does have the raised bow, and that allows me to be safe in that in the rough seas. Right. It was originally planned for duck hunting. So I bought it for that, and then come to find out, I ended up um, commercial fishing for a little bit out of the boat. I had 200 crab pots that I would did pull, you? hand pull with that boat. Dang. Um, How long did I it did, take to set 200 crab pots out of the boat? Because you couldn't carry them all at once. Two days. Really? <laughs> so it was like you'd take out 15 or 20 at a time. Yeah, yeah. And that would be completely loaded down. But, um, yeah, so I, I got it for hunting, and then it became my commercial fishing boat, and then eventually it it tracks so well that I wanted to put a uh, a platform on the front, so I built the platform for it, yeah, so that I could saltwater fish off the front. Yeah, that's sweet. And that's kind of how the the transition happened. Is it has become my all purpose boat, and uh, you know originally I I was looking for that hole, and I found one on Craigslist, and this was it was actually an estate sale. So I got my buddy who has the other model that is very similar. And I said, hey, man, let's go check this boat out. And I ended up getting it for 600 bucks. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so we the stern was rotted out and the back seat was <laughs> rotted out. So I knew that I had to put some money into it. And I uh, ended up putting a, another trailer under it for 200 bucks. I put um, 1900 in the stern and the seat in the back. So all in all, I've got under three grand in that boat. <laughs> motor nice mm-hmm. i think i m- muted that did i did you hear the throat clearing there i tried to mute oh my yeah mic. You're good, <laughs> i muted at the wrong time i reached up there to try to try to do it um, we need to tell everybody it's uh 751 right now yeah it's so 751 in the morning i'm i'm still my chest is still waking up i got a little bit of a cold and i'm trying that was the second time i think i muted the mic wrong so i apologize to everyone listening that just had to hear me clear my throat but i'll try to not let that happen again um yeah, that's so cool, man. That's such a cool little boat. That little bow platform's awesome as well, and um, I've seen you pulling around on that thing, and it, it does awesome. It does really good. It reminds the first boat that I pulled was a little duck boat. Me and my buddy fixed it up. I forget. It's got a name, but it's like a wooden-built little sneak boat kind of thing. I, 
try to find it. I don't know if I'll be able to find a picture to share in here. But we took like a the floor of an old ladder stand, like metal grade. We'd pull around that thing in the summer barefoot, and you'd get off, and your feet would have like the shape of like the metal. Oh. On them, but we ratchet strapped that sucker to the back of the boat and and fished that. Thing. I mean, it was it was awesome. And we got you know it, we got everywhere we needed to be. And granted, I would love to still fish on that boat. I don't think clients would be stoked if they rolled up to the dock and I had that thing with the with the deer stand for a pulling platform. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was definitely not a seaworthy boat. The bow was very low; like it would punch mm-hmm. through boat wakes in the waterway. So you didn't want to want to do that, but. Um, but yeah, that that's super cool. Um, I yeah, the 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 I never intended to take it in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. I I bought it for the purpose of like, okay, these other things, and then you know, I'm in Wilmington. I'm like, I'm gonna learn the fishery. So, realistically, it makes sense for me. I'm not from here. I don't know the waterway. Not jumping back in the past. So to have a forty thousand dollar boat would not have made sense for me then because I would have tore it up on oysters. Right. So moral of the story for me was it made sense to have a cheaper boat that I'm not necessarily worried about definitely you know, keeping in pristine condition. Definitely. So that was the benefit for that. But, uh, yeah, I learned, uh, slowly with, with, you know, going out in the, the tides, going to the jetty, like that was step one. And then I got comfortable at the jetty. And then once I learned the conditions that would allow me to get out and run the beach, like now, you know, I may get a week or, probably a week out of every, I don't know, month, two months where we get a few good days. Yeah, definitely. And then I try to capitalize on that. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'll take it to three, three and a half miles. That's about the far furthest I've gone out in it. Yeah. It's, I mean, if Elias can do it on his kayak, we can do it on a, on a small that's, boat. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But yeah. he also uh, has turbo mode on that kayak. So yeah. He, he does have turbo mode. <laughs> he does have turbo mode. He was telling me the other day that they're coming out with a, you know how like the electric bikes now are like pedal assist. So like as you pedal, the speed builds up. He was saying they're doing that with a kayak now, so you'll have longer range and faster, which will be super cool. Totally different topic as well. Um, yeah. What would you say that boat is best for, as far as the types of fishing you like to do? Where, where do you feel like it really shines, and um, you know, the fisheries that you like to pursue? Well, I'd say it's a perfect inshore boat. I mean, I, I, when I got the boat, it wasn't necessarily because it didn't have the platform. So once I built the platform for the front and I literally just got a, uh, a trolling motor, shout out to Roger Jones for getting me the, nice. the setup. But, uh, yeah, I just got a trolling motor for it. So now I have spot lock. So Heck I yeah. think I'm really going to excel when I can get out there in the warmer months and hit shorelines and, and target areas that are high current that I'd have to anchor in, in the past. Yeah. So, you know, slowly the boat has uh, transformed into a fishing machine. For yeah, me. that's awesome. So that I think it, it'll do the best in that situation. I have that conversation. That's a conversation that comes up a lot is like power pole or trolling motor. And I always tell people trolling motor because you can do two, two things. I mean, you can't quite, you can't anchor without noise with a, with a, a trolling motor. But the ability to be able to spot lock and, and especially make small moves, like going out to the Liberty ship. And setting up to bottom fish on the Liberty ship with an anchor, you know, it's a lot of work once you get hung and and you're kind of in the right spot, making a five foot move just doesn't quite seem worth it. So maybe you grind out more time in an area with a troll motor, you can just slide over five feet and be on the same, same bottom like that, you know, super quickly. And I think that's, what's so cool 
about the trolling motor is the ability to make those small moves but stay stationary, if that makes sense. And especially trout fishing <laughs> inshore as well. Um, kind of same idea. Yeah, that's been the tough part for me is is the past few years. Is just every <coughs> I'm making a ton of noise. Yeah. And then you got to sit there for 10 or 15 minutes because you just blew everything out and you got to wait for everything to settle. And I'm, I'm excited about taking it to the next level. Right. But it is ironic that the trolling motor is literally more money than the boat was. <laughs> yeah. That, that <laughs> is ironic. Oh, that's funny. That sounds about right, though. Golly, yeah. that's crazy. I, I swear you used to be able to like get a trolling motor and get it installed for like $1,000. Now it's like by the time you get a trolling motor and get it installed, it's like 2500 bucks. I feel like. Man, mine just cost me three grand, and I put it in myself. Did you really? Golly. Yeah, it was like an extra six hundred dollars install. So I was like, I'll figure it out. Yeah, that is nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, they're so worth it though. It's like you know that double-edged sword of you're going to spend a lot of money. Well, that's not even double-edged sword. It's just a the, you're going to spend money on it, but it's so worth it. I mean, if you're fishing regularly or you want to take it to the next level no matter what kind of vessel you're on a trolling motor is going to really help help with that so uh, yeah I, I look at it like so i, I work full-time real estate so <clears throat> my time that i can fish is very valuable right i have to be effective i can't go out there and get skunked two three four days in a row so if the trolling motor or the platform or the gps unit that i have is in need of, of, of work or replacement, I look at it like this is going to help my overall investment. So I try not to think about it from a, like, this is going to kill me financially right now yeah. because it's a long haul decision. For sure. So that's how I justify anything that I want to buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it is a good thing. I think I abuse it though. I definitely abuse that, that mindset right there. So, um, I, I really want to share with people too. I want to talk about your YouTube channel and, and, kind of your twist on that as far as connecting with potential real estate clients. But also I just think it's so cool to, to see how you've used that platform and how it's paid off for you. So we haven't talked about it yet, but and I've shared it on other podcasts. So like our, our listeners should definitely have seen your stuff, but share people share with people your, your YouTube link real quick. Mm -hmm. um, it'll also be in the show notes, but let's talk a little bit about your YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, it's Eric. You can look me up. Eric Williams fishing. I've been doing it for almost two years now. It'll be two years in like June or July. But originally, the the there was not necessarily a plan in place. It was uh, COVID happened, and I didn't have any real estate business going on for like six months. The economy kind of collapsed. I had just switched jobs. I was full-time land broker. I had uh, transitioned to working for Nest Realty here in town. And my goal was I'm going to take what I already know in land and now I'm going to add on to that and do residential as well. Yeah. So COVID happened. I had just uh, hired on at Nest in February. I think COVID happened at the end of March, early April. Mm. So literally sitting at home, like I'm going fishing. I got nothing to do. Right. So and and I'm a, I've always been a big fan of Elias uh, Angler up with Brant. Um, Sorry, I just had a message come through. Oh, you're good. You're good. Shut that down. Y'all can probably hear my son screaming in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been a fan of Elias, Angler Up with Brant. Um, there's a, a whole slew of fishing people that I always enjoy watching. And I said, well, I'm fishing all the time. Why don't I start recording and yeah. let's try it? So I had a GoPro 4 at the time. I took it out. Um, it was my actually my, my buddy's GoPro 4. He was like, I'm not using it. You borrow it. 
so I took it out and I think I made a redfish video on like one of my first times on the jetty. That's awesome. And like at that point, like I didn't realize that I would enjoy chasing the footage as much as I enjoy chasing the fish. Yeah. And I was hooked at that point. I made a video like I've I've always recorded music and and done different types of editing, so it was like a natural transition into making the videos. And the the goal was if I'm already spending all this time fishing, why don't I try to use it as a way to meet people in real estate? Yeah. So that was the goal from the start was like show people what I love, connect with people that also love the same thing and use it as a way to not necessarily generate income, but supplement my time. Definitely. Make the time a little bit more worth it. Yeah. You know, or potentially way more worth it, you know, but at least there's, and you've already made some connections on some clients and and sold some houses that way, which is so cool. Um, Yeah, I think that's super neat. And I think that's, you're starting to see people using YouTube and other platforms in that way too, building relationships, connecting with people through a mutual interest. And then, you know, providing a, you know, something for them as far as, um, a real estate or, you know, other, other types of, there's, there's one other dude that I watch. He builds these jet boats, but he also builds custom tables. So he's like always built, he's like, has this big following of people that watches like jet boat videos and jet boat. I mean like river boats with like a, a jet lower mm-hmm. unit. And he's like, this is redneck, but builds these beautiful custom tables. And I actually found him. I love jet boat videos and, and whatnot. And actually, there were some other jet boat guys. I, but I found him looking at custom tables and found out that he had this YouTube channel. But I guess most of everyone finds him the opposite way. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, no, that's fine. It was cool to just to see. It's like two very different things, but he made them work together really well. It was just like what you're doing. Yeah. Well, we, we live in a weird world, man, where like uh, – we, we kind of talked about this on the other podcast, but we're the first generation that like grew up without social media, right. but then transitioned to it in our teens. That's true. So like we, we're in a, we're in a time where like you, you can't just have one job. It's gotta be like, you have to use some type of, um, way to branch out into different areas. For example, you, you do the, the podcast where you try to, to get clients to call you and go fishing and for sure. Elias uses his to sell his shads. I'm using it to meet people for real estate, so it's like you got to branch out nowadays. Definitely, definitely. You get, there's there and there's so many ways to market, and so many of them are becoming saturated. So it's like finding the new way to, and YouTube's just a fun one. You know, maybe it's yeah. not the most productive way to market for something, and maybe it is, but it's a fun way to be able to, you know, take something that you love and share it with others. So I think that's super super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what what has been your favorite thing about YouTube and what's been like a, maybe a drawback for you that, that you don't like about the whole YouTube thing. If there's so a rose and a thorn, if you will. (laughs) Good song. (laughs) Uh, my favorite thing I like going, uh, I like going out and seeing people that I wouldn't have known if I didn't start recording the videos. Yeah. Like for example, that's kind of how we met. That's how I met Lex. That's how I met Elias. Um, that's my favorite part is just the community building. I'd say the negative is, um, my boat is very recognizable. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm fishing a spot, like, and then I have a video come out, like if you were out there and you saw me fishing or you saw my video and saw that I was down there, like pretty easy. Down where? 
I'm just kidding. Like just, just anywhere. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just like, joking. Like, where's the spot down where? <laughs> like, uh, there's really no secret now for where I fish and how I fish. But um, I'm not. I'm going out there for fun. Yeah. So I'm not. You know, if I catch four or five fish, it was a good day for me. So the trade-off is worth it, in my opinion. For sure. That's something we talked about on the podcast the other day, which I think is is important to remember. Of just like, where's that line of when you're creating content? Of like, how much do you share? Where do you what do you not share? And I think it can be different for everybody. But I think that one point I kind of came to, and and I guess I fleshed it out and kind of put it in some words that that made sense to me. But when I was saying like, uh, you know, just because. So when you when you find a fishing spot and you learn where to catch fish, it's like it becomes your intellectual property. You've earned it by what you spent, the time you spent on the water. You know, understanding the tides, understanding how the fish move. That's a piece of intellectual property that you've stored in your head that that you own in a sense. You don't own that spot. You don't own those fish, but the understanding of it is something that you own. And that was just a cool conversation we had about the responsibility of that information because just because you've learned it yourself and know it. As, as a, someone who puts out content and YouTube, and this is something I deal with myself as well a lot, you know, it's also someone else's intellectual property that spent time out there learning the same area, same fish. So if you blast it too hard, it's like, you're not only, you might not care if it hurts, I might not care if it hurts me. I'm like, ah, you know, I've got another school of redfish down here. I'm not too worried about these fish. But someone else might have put in a lot of work to find those fish, and I'm ruining it for them. And it's just that thought process. It's just, it's the same thought process of like, just being, you know, cautious and respectful of people's property. You know, you don't want to, I don't know. It, it, it's such a, that conversation so funny because every time we, y'all should definitely go look at that, listen to that podcast because we'd talk about one point and then all of us would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'd like think about the flip side of that point and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, there's no, there's no real like perfect answer, but it's uh it's something to definitely think about and kind of find your right place. But I don't know. Yeah, I um, one thing about like jumping back to like not necessarily spot burning, but you know when we fish a spot, it's the how and the why that's more important than the where. Right, exactly. Like a, when you watch Elias smoke the rockfish in the Cape Fear River, you you need what you don't understand is like the amount of time he's put into learning that structure on the bottom. Right. The current, how that affects it, the tide. Um, what time that he's there in that tide like these there's so much to it that a youtube video does not teach you so i i go back to the old saying you know there's no substitute for time on the water 100 percent. and i encourage everyone to get out and learn for yourself because just because you know where we're at doesn't mean you're going to catch fish there for sure i agree 100 percent. it's uh and for me as a guide my my problem with it sometimes becomes it's like all right even if even if i blast a spot and with a YouTube video and then people show up there, they might not even need to know the right tide, but if they're sitting on the spot when I, when I wanted to go be there, that it meant that, that ends up messing me up. But again, it's, you know, that's something, that's something that I have to worry about myself. If I want to create content, you know, mm-hmm. then I, I got to be careful in that aspect, but it's just a, it's a tough balance. It's, uh, you know, I've frustrated quite a few people with the podcast and sharing information and, um, it's kind of leveled back out now. And I feel like that kind of happens with YouTube stuff too. People will get upset about a certain topic or they'll get upset about where, where I'm fishing or where someone's fishing. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to go there and catch fish is really what mm-hmm. it boils down to. So 
Um, we, I didn't even think we were going to talk about the whole. It's just such a good conversation. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's applicable for both of us. Just, I mean, in the same sense that it is for what we talked about on Lex's podcast. Right. It, uh, it means a lot, and I, I try to protect it too, just, just because I know that I plan on staying here in Wilmington for my life. Right. So the video that I make today is going to affect me in 10 days, or to not 10 days, 10 years. Yeah, definitely. So, I, you know, we have to be careful with that. For sure. It's, it's awesome to see so many people out on the water fishing, but I think the big thing that we boiled back down to the other day was conservation. Like, that needs to be in the forefront of everyone's mind is conserving these fish because, you know, even if everyone's catch and release right now, the amount of redfish that we have around are still not enough to go around as far as just being happy fish that want to eat. Mm-hmm. At least this winter. Like, we, it, it's, there's, there's so many people targeting wintertime redfish now. And we just don't have enough for them to there to be happy schools everywhere. So we just need to focus on how we can, you know, hopefully get more. <coughs> Excuse me. I will snug up more redfish in the marsh. So, and I don't know much about it all. This is something I actually had a long conversation about the other day. The Charleston has a pretty big stocking program for redfish. They're actually stocking redfish in the marsh down there. Um, and I'm like, why can't we do that up here? You know, I, I've always heard so many negative things about stocked fish. And, you know, in rivers and whatnot, but have you ever thought much, have you ever put any thought into the redfish stocking down there, if it should be done here? Uh, I didn't know they did that. I, I knew that Charleston's one of the best fisheries for redfish, but I did not know that they actually stocked them. Yeah. But it makes sense that if, what's interesting about this is the Pamlico just had one of the best redfish years on redfish. I know. That's crazy. And then directly following the next season, we have one of the worst redfish seasons we've had in years yeah I so mean, what, what is the correlation there like that's the question that i have it's definitely cyclical you know year after year it changes for sure like fish don't have to when they push out in the ocean in the fall they don't have to come back into our marsh mm-hmm. um but i just I, I don't know you know the pamlico is such a large body of water that i don't feel like fish can necessarily this is just totally me talking there's no science to this whatsoever but I feel like it's harder for fish there to feel the pressure that fish can feel here. Like, you know, it's such a small body of water. Let's talk about, you know, behind Lee Island. You know, there's a school of redfish that comes back in there day after day. I mean, I, I've seen it before where there's a school of 500 fish. I'll be on them in the morning. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I'm on them last. But I'll be on them. I'll, as I'm leaving, I see another skiff running in there to fish them. And, and then you go by later and the tide's higher and there's a bay boat in there. Like they're just constantly getting yeah. pressured and pressured and pressured. And, and maybe that's why they're a lot of fish are staying out in the ocean now in the wintertime. I don't know. I mean, we, it was a pretty good summer uh, as far as the red fishing goes, but this winter's been pretty slow. I mean, there's been lots of groups of fish around, but the number of fish overall, and granted, I can't, I can't find all the fish and see all the fish, but... I feel like I can get a pretty good read on what's going on. And it just feels like a lot less fish. I don't know what why it is. You know, the Pamlico Sound, like you said, everyone up there is like, at any point, any windblown point they stop on, they're catching 20 redfish. Yeah. Um, but de- very different body of water. Bigger too. Yeah. Yeah, the Pamlico's huge. huge. And you've got a whole eastern side that is probably not getting a quarter of the pressure that the western side is. Right, exactly. Never even really thought about it like that. Yeah. 
So that, I think that's a big difference. But as far as like a tagging and stocking program, I mean, we do it for stripers. Why wouldn't we do it for reds? Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. It'd be really neat if we if we started you know releasing redfish around here. I think it would be helpful. And no one talks about it. in the right direction because working in the commercial fishing industry, I remember a time when you could catch four reds and sell four reds a day. Right. You know, commercially. Right. And in 10 years, it's gone down to, you know, you can only keep one a day and it's not even called commercial fish anymore. Right. So it's, I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, we're going to have our cyclical years, but I don't know if everyone is conservation-minded it's going to be a lot better opportunities for years to come. And then, of course, our kids and the ones that follow them. Yeah. And I think it's important that we share with newer anglers, whether they're younger anglers or people who have just gotten into it. Because there's so many guys our age that have just gotten into it. Even guys that are guiding now that have been fishing for two, three years that don't understand what it used to be like even 10 years ago, you know, the fishing. So um sharing sharing with people just be just making people aware of it you know and, and i'm not i i used to be like a finger pointer at like whose problem it was whose fault it was but but the, whose problem it is is everyone's problem to try to fix now because i'm not saying that my son's not gonna be able to fish when he's older but if the decline of redfish in our area is the same you know when he's my age from when i was in middle school and started fishing there's not it's gonna be really hard for him to catch redfish so and I don't think it's going to be like that, but I, I think that we we can't just sit back and and not try to help out with it. So, yeah, it's and we uh, gotta 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 think about the future and everything we do, especially with the water. Definitely, definitely. So, um, let's uh let's kind of wrap up by sharing. I I kind of want to hear what your favorite type of inshore fishing is. So, especially from that boat, what if you've got a beautiful day, everything's going off. You could go do anything. What what would kind of be your your take on, or your take on a perfect day of fishing out here? And with the flounder closure this year, I had a blast catching flounder. Yeah. Well, you mean when it was out of season? Yeah. 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 Because fish fish around. I had a blast. I, I mean, if you if you want to catch fish, in my opinion, throw on a gulp. And I would, you know, some of the videos that I made where I caught a bunch of flounder, man, it was just I was they were smoking the gulp. Yeah. What, really do you have a specific color and, and and shape that you like at the gold? Uh, I'm a big fan of the jerk shads. Jerk shads, sweet. Yeah, I think they. I mean, I know that you lose the the tail flutter of the paddle tail, but something about that action when that you pop dark, it at yeah. the bottom, it, it flounder love it. They do. Um, but then again, like to catch a overslot red on the jetty, man, it's hard to beat that too. Yeah. Um, and I love it all. I if if you notice, like my youtube channel if i catch a fish and make a video i drop that and move on so yeah. by the time you see that that video i'm targeting something else yeah for sure that, i like to keep switching it up that's fun that's uh that's something i've had to do with my guiding career of chasing redfish for so long and then i was like you know there is so many other fish here i can catch you know and i got into the near shore stuff and everything um yeah man it, it, and that's what's great about spring is like you have so many options and you can you can make a plan and then just go and vary it as you need to. Did you hear that the Benita are here pretty thick? Already? I'm just kidding. I just wanted to say that just so people for a split second that were listening to this were like already running out to the garage to, to get their boat loaded up. Um, <laughs> February? <laughs> no, they're not here. Maybe. Who knows? But I just wanted to say that. Uh, I, I know. That's that's the cool thing about this time of year is, is this in the fall. Like real versatile times a year. You can go target different 
a couple different types of fish. I'm about to throw up on this candy cane about choked on it. Yeah. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a cool time of year for sure. Um, but guys definitely go check out Eric's uh, YouTube channel. Like I said, I'll have it linked in the podcast show notes and the, the YouTube description. Uh, great dude. Give him a call. If you're interested in selling and buying uh, land or a house or commercial property or anything like that, just to, I promise you, if you have a five minute conversation with him that you'll love him. Um, and now you probably don't have to have a conversation with him because he, I just had a conversation with him for you. Um, but man, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to do another podcast with Lex next week um, and, and talk about some some similar stuff and some different stuff. So stay tuned for that. But guys, thank you all so much. As always, um, if you do enjoy this content, go check out our Patreon page. I'll have that linked as well. We've got extra content over there. And uh hope you all are out there catching some fish. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Thanks, man. Thank you.